in my experience, rejection usually has negative connotations to it. I suppose that some rejection might be positive. Getting rejected for that work transfer to Antarctica. Or getting rejected from the contest for awkward family photos. But generally speaking, rejection doesn't feel good. I remember one time when I was in the eighth grade, I had a crush on a girl in my church. And there was a Valentine banquet uh, for the teens coming up, and there was a deadline to sign up. But I was so scared of rejection that I delayed asking her to attend with me. I delayed until the very last minute. I mean, she was walking to the car after a service before the church building was locked, kind of last minute. There probably wasn't really a need to fear that rejection because we had already done that junior high thing through friends. If he asked you to go, will you go? Um, and I already received the answer back. But I was still nervous. Nobody likes rejection. So we walked outside, or maybe I was running after her towards the car, I don't remember. And she was putting something into her car. As she was doing that, I issued my invitation. Hey, you want to sit beside me at, at the Valentine banquet? Or something like that. And with perfect timing, she turned around from the car and sprayed me in the face with a water bottle. Yeah, true story. I still have emotional scars over this. <laughs> I think that's why years later I was scared to ask Tara to marry me. Well, she said yes. Both of them said yes. Well, well I'm going to get myself in trouble. In eighth grade, I went to a Valentine's banquet, and then Tara said yes later. Okay. I didn't get rejected for that banquet. Just wet. We work really hard to avoid rejection. But this morning, before we come to the table, I want you to think about the one who worked to experience rejection. Would you please locate in your copy of the scriptures Isaiah 52? Isaiah chapter 52. If you're using the pew copy of the scriptures, it's on page 521. Isaiah is part of the first half of the Christian Bible. It's the, the Old Testament. Isaiah is a, is, a, is a book of prophecy. It's one of the major prophets because it's one of the longer books of prophecy. As you find your spot there in Isaiah 52, I want to remind you that we are taking six communion Sundays this year to consider one of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This book of Isaiah, there are four songs about the servant of the Lord. Songs about Jesus Christ. They are much like psalms. They are found in Isaiah 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and then one begins at the end of chapter 52 and carries us through chapter 53. It's this last servant song that, is our, that we are giving our attention to on these six communion Sundays in 2019. This song actually as I said, begins at the end of chapter 52. It has five stanzas to it. Chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, we've already studied. It's, it refers to the astonishing suffering servants. The second stanza is the rejected suffering servant, and that will be the topic of our consideration this morning in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 53. And then eventually we will come to the successful suffering servants, the innocent suffering servants, and the sufficient suffering servants. Before I read, let me uh, issue this word of, for the word of context for you about the timing of this servant song. 
Isaiah is speaking about a future day at the end of history that's still future to us. It's a day that, that is thousands of years after Christ's crucifixion. He was looking back at Christ's death, and he was looking ahead to Christ's return. And for Israel, this song was actually going to be, is going to be a lament of repentance. Repentance of the nation of Israel. It's a song that they sorrow for how they went astray from the man of sorrows. Please follow along as I begin reading in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our reports? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. And rejected. He is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of the people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He is an astonishing suffering servant. He was astonishing in his testimony of wisdom and worth. 
He was astonishing in his humiliation. He was astonishing in his exaltation. But now the song takes a turn to reveal a more in-depth consideration of the rejection that Christ experienced. While we try to avoid rejection, Jesus has run toward rejection. Jesus has already experienced rejection from us, by us, in order that he might bring us to God. Don't reject the one who can provide life that lasts forever. Before we partake of bread and wine this morning to remember the body and the blood of the Lord, let us first consider the suffering servant's rejection as it's presented in these three verses, at least in these three ways. First of all, the suffering servant is rejected by those who witness his power. Many who are familiar with Christ's power still reject him. Verse 1 says, Who has believed our reports? And to whom is, his, is the arm of the Lord revealed? These questions in verse 1 could be uh, expressed as expl- exclamations. Remembering that this song is, is prophesying the lament of national Israel in a day that is still yet to come as they look back in repentance at the work of Christ. Isaiah says, who has believed a report? This report is, is the message. This report is the news. This report is the good news. It's the gospel message. The report of the suffering servant's vicarious or substitutional work on the behalf of sinners, the transgressors that he would intercede for. Isaiah seems to point us to the fact that not everyone believes. Some reject, even after seeing the arm of the Lord. The second question takes us to the omnipotence of God. The arm of the Lord, it's it's referring to the strength of the Lord or to the power of God, our omnipotent God. Who has believed? Only those who no longer reject Only those who no longer reject because they have experienced the arm of the Lord, the might of God in rescue. The Jewish people were witnesses to the power of God. The Jewish people were familiar with the arm of the Lord. They had known of how their ancestors had been rescued from the land of Egypt and how how God opened up this this Red Sea, so that they could, could walk through on dry ground, and how God provided for them and guided them for 40 years through the wilderness. And they had seen how God led them into the promised land, as even as we are studying in our study through the book of Joshua, and how God gave them the land, and how God, God's mighty arm was, was, was available for them to see, and was on display for them. They had heard of the, the mightiness of God in a cave that was filled with lions. And yet their mouths were shut, and God's servant was spared. And now, in the day of Christ, they had seen, they had been witnesses to the power of Almighty God. They had seen a blind man be healed. They had seen lepers no longer diseased because of the power of God. They had seen God the Son break up bread, a small amount of bread, a small amount of fishes, and feed 5,000 people, maybe even 20,000 people with, with women and children that were counted as well. They had seen Jesus. They had heard the reports of Jesus who called into a tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth from the dead. And yet, they rejected even in the face 
of all this might on display. Even as first-hand witnesses to the power of God on display, there were some who still rejected. We, we have seen the mighty hand of God displayed regularly. The heavens declare to us the glory of God. The Word declares to us the power of God. We have seen with our own eyes how God has worked all around us in the lives of His children. And yet, even some, maybe who gather here and who have seen the glory of God in creation and have heard of the power of God in His Word and have seen how God has worked among the lives of His own children, even yet, some will still reject the suffering servant. This is a particular problem in Lancaster County. Lots of people are close to the working of God. Many thousands of people claim God. Thousands of people can point to provisions and to protection and to physical healing and to involvement in kingdom-advancing ministry. So many people in our community have a front-row seat to the display of God's almighty hand. And yet some will still reject the suffering servants. It's not enough to witness the power of God. It takes the arm of the Lord. It takes the the arm of the omnipotent one to reveal the reports, to open our blinded eyes so that we may see the gospel truth. In other words, It's the act of God to move His arm and to open the eyes of unbelievers to the gospel. So my friends, pray to that end. Pray that the mighty arm of the Lord will open the eyes of those who who are still rejecting this suffering servant. When we gather as a congregation every Wednesday uh, uh, at 7 o'clock, we distribute a prayer guide. On the back of that prayer guide, there is a list of people that we believe have not, that we believe are still rejecting the suffering servant. We pray that the mighty arm of God will open their eyes and that he will rescue them and they will be saved. Pray to that end. Speak to that end. Speak about this report, this message of salvation. Speak of the suffering servant. Who did you tell about Jesus this week? Who did you talk to about the suffering servants? Who did you communicate with about Jesus and how he loves the world and he gave of his life in order that they might be reconciled to God? Jesus was was rejected by people that were witnesses to his power. Many of us have witnessed the power of God. Will you continue to reject? While we try to Avoid rejection. Jesus has already experienced rejection by us in order to bring us to God. Don't reject the only one who can provide life to you that never ends. The suffering servant is rejected by those who, by some who have witnessed his power. Secondly, the suffering servant is rejected by those who misunderstand his identity. Look at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant... And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He came up like a young plant, Isaiah says. This is referring to the suffering servant when he made an appearance on the earth. This is referring to his incarnation, that Jesus came to the earth. This is part of what we celebrate when we come to the table, that Jesus came to be with us, that he gave us his body, that he shed his blood for us. Before him, it says, for he shall grow up before him. This should be, uh, we should understand this is, this is before God the Father. Jesus lived his entire earthly life in the presence of God. So, to many, the suffering servant appeared as a, as, as a suckling, as a tender twig that grows on the trunk of a tree. Isaiah doesn't compare Jesus to a massive cedar, but to a tender plant that would struggle to preserve life. There wasn't exactly a strong vote of confidence from, from Christ's onlookers, was there? As Isaiah uses the second message, the second image, a root that comes up in a dry and unpromising soil. It reminds us of the lowly conditions in which the servant made his appearance, being born in a barn, not educated in the, in the, the Jewish schools, no political agenda, even though the people had hoped for that. He doesn't have a form or a, of glory. In other words, those things that seemed necessary for leadership weren't glaringly evident to those who were experiencing and walking around this earth with Christ. So this verse is not talking about physical character traits of Christ. Rather, it's making clear to us that the way Christ was looked upon, his identity was misunderstood. They didn't understand why Christ had come. Christ was antithetical to their expectations. We consider this on, on Palm Sunday in Mark 11. He was unimpressive despite his miracles. Even though his miracles raised hope, it is evident that the people misunderstood who he was and why he had come to them. They are, were obsessed with an outward appearance. Perhaps they had forgotten the lessons of their forefathers. That their forefathers had learned when the great King David was anointed that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. They didn't seem to be much, there didn't seem to be much promising potential to those who observed Christ because they were looking for the wrong thing. They misunderstood the identity of Christ. What they needed was someone to deal with their sin. That was their greatest need. That was the most important need that they had. Friends, we often ourselves misunderstand the identity of Jesus. We often ourselves have misplaced expectations of Jesus. We can misunderstand his identity. We can be tempted to think that if we follow Jesus, if we commit to Christ, if we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then all the world, all my life is going to be happy-go-lucky. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be happy. There's not going to be any problems in this life. Jesus didn't come to make us happy. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus didn't come to make it so that there was going to be new suffering uh, in this pilgrimage. In fact, he has told us that there will be suffering in this pilgrimage. That there will be trials and difficulties. Jesus came to deliver us, to provide deliverance from sin. Misunderstanding Jesus' mission can cause us to live a life of trying to attain status with God. Or in a sense, to earn our salvation. Well, if I just do this, if I have these external standards, or if I hold to this rule in my life, or if I do this with my church attendance, or if I do this, do this or that, then God will be pleased with me. That's not the gospel message. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came because he knew we could never attain to the status that we needed to with God. 
we always will fall short of the glory of God. Jesus came to be the Messiah, the anointed one, to rescue us from trying to rescue ourselves. While we try to avoid rejection, Jesus has already experienced rejection by us in order that he might bring us to God. Don't reject the one, the only one, who can provide a life that never ends. The suffering servant is rejected by those who witness his power. The suffering servant is rejected by those who misunderstand his identity. And thirdly, before we come to the table, the suffering servant is rejected by those who disown his agony. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here it is spelled out for us. The suffering servant, Jesus Christ, was despised. He was rejected. The suffering servant is despised. We think of different times that word was used in the scriptures. Esau despised his birthright. Saul was despised as a king. Michael despised uh, uh, Saul's daughter. Michael despised her husband, David. It simply means that individuals were so despised that they were rejected. We will see this suffering servant continue to unfold the next time we come to it. The prophet makes clear to us what kind of torment the suffering servant had been called to endure. It was the cruelest of punishments, the contest at the cross. People cried out, crucify him. People wagging their fingers at him. That word at the end of, of verse 3 says, we esteemed him not. It's an accounting word. In other words, people did not count him worthy. This is what we have done. This is what we, re we rehearsed when we read our, our statement of faith. We have all gone astray. We have all rejected the suffering servant. We have all wagged our finger in his face. We have all gone astray. None of us has chosen rightly. None of us seeks after God. There is none righteous, not even one. They would reject as they wagged their finger the one who hung on the cross in their place. And this is an arrogant rejection because he died for the sins of those who rejected him. They would take no ownership of Christ's agony. Those who reject Christ have a mindset that somehow Christ had it coming to him, even though that sounds and is blasphemous. They think that's what that was the case, that Christ had it coming. Or someone who rejects a suffering servant doesn't believe that Jesus, maybe they don't believe that Jesus deserved it, but they certainly don't believe that they deserve it. Again, in our own community, we many will say and attribute kind things to Jesus. They will say complimentary things about the suffering servants. He may be praised as a good teacher or a fantastic prophet or the one that can solve the world's problems. Our world is filled with people who will say good things about Jesus. However, people refuse to acknowledge their own sin and refuse to acknowledge that they are deserving of the very punishment that Christ endured. The lie that we believe is that we can save ourselves if we just do enough good works or if we keep a certain amount of rules that, will make, that we think will make us godly or if we just buckle down and discipline ourselves enough. But none of those things can deliver us from the payment of our sin, the penalty of our sin. The human race needed someone that could deal with our sin by becoming sin for us. 
Isaiah says the suffering servant was a man of sorrows. That he was acquainted with grief. And this is where the, the connection comes in from his agony and our ownership of his agony. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief because of us. I heard a missionary kid from Albania articulate it this way. Poor God, we're idiots, and then we blame him. It's about right, right? Out of the mouth of babes. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief because of us. We are the problem. One commentator said it this way, Jesus was not an incessant sorrower and sufferer, but he was notably so, not by reason of his constitution, but because he took our sorrows and our weaknesses as his own. The hymn writer put it this way, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. How can we disown his agony? Those were your sins in which he bore the burden. He suffered and died because of your pornography usage. He agonized because of your unkindness to others. He died because of your gossip. He was tormented because of your sin and because of my sin. So verse 3 teaches us that Christ was a man of sorrows because of us. He was acquainted with grief because of us. And yet, we still despised Him. We still rejected Him. We still refused to esteem Him worthy. He bore a burden because of our sin. We despised Him. We rejected Him. We refused to esteem Him. We rejected the suffering servant by disowning His agony. We lived as if we don't deserve what He did in our place. Do you disown His agony? Do you live as if his agony wasn't necessary for you? While we try to avoid rejection, Jesus has already experienced rejection in order to bring us to God. Don't reject the only one that can provide life that never ends. Earlier in our service, we read some of our church's statement of faith, which states that all humans are sinners by birth and by choice. We have all rejected the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We have all gone astray as sheep. We have witnessed in some way the power of God, and yet we have rejected Him. We have rejected God through our own misunderstanding of Christ's identity, Christ's mission, why He came, and what we're able to do in response to it. We have shown our rejection of God by disowning the suffering servant's agony. We kind of distance ourselves, don't we? We distance ourselves from the personal responsibility of his death, not believing that we deserve that punishment. Isaiah 53, 1-3 presents our rejection of God as so complete, as so damning, in such a dire way that it almost seems hopeless. But there is more to the song. We find out through the suffering servants that we can have peace with God. And that only happens by God's grace. Nothing less, nothing less than the mercy of God can draw you to Himself 
And in a sense, when that happens, he's overruling your own natural rejection of God. Nothing other than the mercy of God can give you life that never ends. You can't save yourself. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm just going to stop rejecting. This is all about rejecting the suffering servant. I'm just going to stop rejecting. I'm just going to stop rejecting. It doesn't. We need the mighty arm of the Lord to open our eyes and to save us, to rescue us. Salvation doesn't come by our own efforts. Salvation is an act of God alone as He works His mercy toward us. Only, only the intervention of God can make the suffering servant known to you and draw you to Him. While we were yet rejectors of the suffering servants, Christ died for us. Ten years ago today, my final living grandparent passed into eternity. Grandpa Walters had an interesting life. He's in the record books as a college athlete. He drove a Sunbeam bread truck for his entire career. He was married for almost six decades. But he was a man like the rest of us who had rejected God. In fact, he had rejected God over and over and over. Alcohol was a significant factor in his home, the home where my dad grew up. By God's grace, in a separate story, my dad was saved as a child after Christians met him at his front door and took him to church on Sundays where he heard the gospel. Eventually, my dad even went to Bible college, trained to be a pastor. He was ordained into gospel ministry. And he returned uh, after uh, college, after his, his Bible training, he returned to rural Illinois to pastor in a town of 1,200 people for about seven years. It was just my, that little town was just miles from where my grandpa Walters lived and where my dad grew up. All through my dad's growing up years, Bible college, pastoring. My dad's dad had been, a, had been a witness to the power of God. He had seen God do things all those years. But he continued to reject God. Grandpa had rejected God for 60 years of life. In 1980, God called my dad to move away from that town of 1200 in Illinois and moved to the suburbs of Washington, D.C. The final day of his pastorate in Illinois, he was preaching, and my grandfather came to that church service, and he heard the gospel again that he had rejected for 60 years of life. And on that day, the arm of the Lord was revealed to Robert Prentice Walters, and he was given faith to believe the reports. He believed the gospel. He was gloriously saved. And then 27 years later, 10 years ago today, when life exited the body of my grandpa Walters, he was received into the presence of the same suffering servant that he had rejected for so long. He was received into the presence of the suffering servant who had experienced rejection by God, for my grandpa's sins. Only the intervention of God, only the intervention of God can make the suffering servant known to you and draw you to him.
while we were yet rejectors of the suffering servant, Christ died for us. It's possible that you're sitting here thinking, maybe I'm not one of the ones that God will show mercy to. Maybe I'm just going to continue rejecting God. Maybe the arm of the Lord will not be revealed to me. Oh, my friends, it already has been. For all of the places that you could be today, all of the circumstances of your life, all of the things that God has ordained and orchestrated to bring you into this room to hear the gospel message is a display of the mighty arm and the mercy of God to reveal to you His goodness, His kindness, and His Son, Jesus. He has ordained this passage and this sermon to make sure that you knew that only God's intervention can make the suffering servant known to you and draw you to Him. Call out today, as has already been mentioned, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christian, the call for you from this passage is that precisely because you have experienced God's mercy, run from sin, live for Him, esteem Count him as worthy of your righteous living and come to the table with joy and remembrance. The suffering servant didn't run from rejection like you and I do. He ran toward rejection. He was rejected by God. God turned his back on him. He, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, experienced rejection for the very ones who would reject him. Let's take our black hymnal, the 